Hello and welcome back to Everyday Anarchism, the show that finds anarchism, mutual aid, cooperation, non-domination in your everyday life. I'm your host, Graham Colbertson. This episode is finally about bread. Bread, the great symbol of anarchism, and specifically it's about Bitman Bread, which is a new cookbook that I could not recommend more highly by Mark Bittman, a legendary cookbook writer, and Carrie Conan, who has been working with Mark on his cookbooks for decades, but I believe this is the first time she's had her name on the front cover. You can also get uh, wonderful updates about food and culture from Mark Carey and others if you sign up for their newsletter, The Bitman Project. I certainly uh, recommend it. So why are they here? Well, they're here to talk about bread, Bitman bread, but mostly, as you're going to hear, our conversation is not about bread, it's about anarchism. And I want to talk a little bit before you hear our conversation about anarchism as to why it's so important to think about bread from an anarchist perspective. Food is frankly political. I mean, everything is political in some sense, but the way our food is produced is absolutely crucial to how our society runs. What we eat tells you who we are exploiting and who we are supporting. The greatest political symbol in Europe since Rome has been bread. One of the ways that you prevent revolution is giving people bread. And so the first thing that you need to do if you have a revolution is make sure that people have enough bread. But the bread we are eating right now, the standard factory white bread, is simply not acceptable. It is not ethically acceptable given the exploitation of the land and the workers who produce it. And it is just not healthy. It is not good for you. You may have heard that you shouldn't feed bread to ducks because it's not good for them. White bread, this is true, but it's not any better for you than it is for them. You shouldn't feed white bread to yourself. So obviously you've heard that you should eat whole wheat bread, maybe especially sourdough whole wheat bread, because sourdough, it doesn't mean it's sour. Uh, Mark complains about that word in his text, and I agree. Sourdough means it's a natural yeast culture. It's like making bread from the bread version of yogurt instead of buying your yogurt in the store. Now, the narrative, and I think this narrative is mostly true, is that as healthy and hearty as whole grain, whole wheat sourdough bread can be, it's just not as good. It just doesn't have the magic components that a modern white bread has. So yeah, sure, the stuff in the bag at the store might be disgusting, but if you get a good baguette or white boule or focaccia at the local bakery, that's just going to be better than the whole wheat loaf sitting next to it. And Bitman bread, and this is my last plug for Bitman bread before we get to the interview, Bitman bread, you can make whole wheat sourdough bread that has way more flavor and umami and just richness than even the best white bread, and yet is incredibly similar in terms of texture and lift and heft. That's why Bitman bread is, for me, a revolution. And it's clearly a return, since it is both whole grain and sourdough, to the kind of bread that our ancestors were eating. And yet, it has characteristics 
of the bread that was invented in the 19th century, which has come to symbolize decadence. You can have your decadence and your sustainability all at the same time with Bitman bread. I certainly recommend the book. I'll have a link in the show notes. For now, after the music, here's my conversation with Mark and Carrie. Hello, um, Mark and Carrie. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on the podcast. Um, we are here today to talk about anarchism and to talk about bread. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves or do you want to just jump right into it? I can tell the listeners who you are later. Yeah, you do it later. Okay. <laughs> very good. Very good. So I don't know if you if you know this. I mean, I don't know to what extent people know this these days, but the great icon of anarchism is not the red and black flag. It is bread. And the most famous work of anarchism is The Conquest of Bread by Peter Kropotkin. And uh, there, there's a whole group of left-wing YouTubers now. They're not necessarily anarchists, but they're all left-wing. They don't do advertisements. And it is called BreadTube, as opposed to YouTube, because bread is the icon of anarchism. But in my experience, most anarchists don't actually talk about bread. It's a it's a metaphor, but Kropotkin, he actually cared a lot about bread. And so when I read your book, Bitman Bread, the book that you two put together, it is about our daily bread. And Kropotkin says, that is the point of the revolution. The revolution is that everyone shall have their daily bread. So since I'm eating your bread daily, I thought we would, we would talk about that. Wow. Um. You know, I think I knew that at one point because uh, I have a little bit of an anarchist past. Um, but I wish I had known it when Carrie and I were writing the introduction to the book because it is—it's so cool. And I'm going to go—I'm going to go look at Conquest of Bread when we're done because that—that's just an awesome. That's so cool. It makes so a lot actually... of sense though because bakers you know, it, the professional bakers, at least they're, that, you know, they're all about providing and they're in the middle of the night, the cycle is, and it's kind of like you take yourself out, you take yourself out of society to bake your bread and stuff, you know, and uh, yeah, I like yeah, it. I'm going to read that book too. And, and the society nevertheless depends on you. And, you know, the other watchword from Kropotkin is mutual aid. And one of the things he talks about in that book is that bread is mutual aid. What do you need to have bread? Well, you need to have that dedicated baker, of course, but you need to have farmers and you need to have the, the whole community comes together to bake bread. And the anarchist message is you don't have to have corporations forcing people to do that. People don't have to get paid to do this. This is what the community will do if left alone. If you leave a group of people alone, you know what they do? They grow wheat and they make bread or in other parts of the world, rice or corn or whatever but kropotkin is you know from russia so the the bread is the image of sustenance and the community oh i, mean, I love that another interesting thing is that you think of anarchism or i think of anarchism as sort of um improvisational and so is real bread making <laughs> we have a recipe obviously we have many recipes but 
I mean, we think of cooking as, I don't know if jazz is the right word or anarchism is the right word, but a skill that you develop and then do at your own pace and in the way you want to and and so on. Certainly that's true of bread, bread baking for those of us who are not professionals. And there is this, well, I'm going to have to read that Kropotkin. I do remember who he is anyway. I mean, an old Russian dude, so what? But yeah. <laughs> well, what I found really interesting in the work, Mark and I worked together for almost two decades now on many, many books. And um, what's been interesting about the bread book, and I don't know if it's just because of social media or because it's bread, but there's a community in it that we've engaged you know, around baking this bread. And as Mark says, it's very improvisational. I mean, we went through a lot of trouble, as you know, in the book to capture photographs and tell people exactly what the hell to do, exactly when to do it, what it's going to look like. And yet in our community, people will tell me, well, you know, I, I started following and then I did this and, <laughs> and I didn't have that. And, oh, I didn't read chapter two yet. So I did this. And, you know, it's like, it's been very, very uh, communal. It's been so communal, so much more than, say, you know, a meatball recipe that we posted, you know, where it's like, I don't know, people don't talk about meatballs like they do bread. Yeah, well, for, I mean, for one thing, bread is life. I mean, I'm a, I'm a real believer in that bread is life, and I like meatballs, but meatballs are not life. But I will just also say, yeah, Carrie, and what I appreciated so much about your recipes or my, my absolute favorite part of the recipe is the way, for those of you who haven't read the book, first of all, get the book. It'll change your life if you're willing to put the time into making the bread. It has changed my life in just a couple of months. You don't get the ratio of flour and water from the recipe. You get the ratio of flour and water from the experience of making the bread. You've got a certain amount of water with the flour, and then you put water on your hands and you make the bread and it is magical. And you can tell, I mean, Mark and Carrie tell you how to do it in the book, but as you learning how to do it, the bread, it's this natural process, this mutualism to use another anarchist term between what you are doing and the, with the water and the flour. And it just works. It doesn't need a recipe and it can't have a recipe because how much water in the air of your kitchen and the warmth of your kitchen, I can't wait to see. I mean, I live in North Carolina. This bread is gonna be unlike anything I have made in December when I'm making it in July. But I'm not scared of that mm. because the recipe builds into it. This magical, yes, jazz, anarchism, any any of these metaphors for it, it it works if you follow the process and then you learn and adapt and the yeast adapts to the temperature and it just it works and that is that's different from any other baking i've ever done in my life oh thank you <laughs> i'm trying to sort of build on or follow this metaphor i mean obviously i'm or maybe well i do believe that there that there's a there should be a stated human right to food, to good food, and obviously bread in in many cultures, bread is the the underpinning of diet or was. Um, I'm trying to see that. I'm trying to see that as specifically bread and a specifically anarchist argument. And maybe I'm not 
quite seeing that. Well, in Animal Vegetable Junk, Mark's other book he wrote before this, um, you know, you did the big, it's anti-corporation, at least. It might not be anti-government, but, you know, not having white bread and going back to whole grain, it is a rejection of the corporate structure, isn't it? Well, rejecting the corporate structure is easy. Arguing that there should be a world without, arguing that there should be a world without a state. I mean, if you're someone who, I mean, I don't really like labels at this point, but if you're, I would, I would argue that the job of the state is to protect people from the corporate structure and to make sure that people have <laughs> adequate. Yes. Okay. So, so then if there's no role for the state, I mean, I know the state is supposed to wither away and all that, but first we have to get to the point where the state does some good, I think. Yeah, okay. So wow. So we're actually so we're actually gonna do I have a series um called Anarchism 101. So based on Mark's response to this, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually do the like anarchism 101 thing. So Great. Here's, so here's the so here's the argument. Goes so something like this. First of all, once you create the state and you want it to do some good it immediately gets captured by elites and most of the time these elites are bad elites they are plutocrats they are corporations sometimes they're good they're good elites they're nice people perhaps most famously barack obama a good man who nevertheless in many other ways was captured by the logic of the state didn't really change any of the various george w bush terror policies and was unable to deliver health care. I mean, his signature uh, accomplishment was Obamacare, which made things better, but did not, um, mm -hmm. did not, and was also unable to deliver uh, a great stimulus in part because of Republicans, but also in part because he got into a room with some really smart experts and Larry Summers and whoever said, you know what, Barry, we just can't make it so that everyone can have food in this country. <laughs> we just can't, we just can't do it. And so anarchism says, first of all, no, <laughs> those, those people, you can't let them have power anymore because even if they are well-meaning, they don't get it. And the other thing anarchism says is the community can do this itself. It's, it's never allowed to because of either the state or the corporation or it can do it itself. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you a quote from an anarchist writer. Um, there's good reason bakers have been essential to villages, neighborhoods, and households throughout history. We hope this book helps you be that person for the people in your life. So that's from the introduction to your book. Um, and that is an expression of the anarchism that you do not need the state to have food. You need a baker and you need people to support and love that baker. And you need that baker to support and love other people. And you don't need money to do it. We we need money now, sort of, because we we're, we're trapped in this money system. But we can imagine a world without money, but we can't imagine a world without community bakeries. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to step out and let you guys talk again in a second. The world you get when you don't have community bakeries is you get fake bread. You get white bread that has been made in a factory, and it may keep you alive, but it will not sustain you. And the government will happily pack that shit up and send it to your house if you are hungry. And the anarchists say there must be something better than that. Yeah, I, 
I don't want to be in a position of arguing with you. I just don't. I just think things are at a place. You know, if we want to define anarchism as direct democracy or or something like that, I think it's an easier an easier sell. I think we need to be at a place where, like right now, the less powerful government is, the worse things are. I that's my opinion. I mean, powerful in the sense of motivated to do social good. The less it is motivated to do social good, the worse things are. Certainly it's all powerful. It can't get much more powerful than it is than it is now, but the power is being exercised in absolutely the wrong directions most often. So that thing I said about the, you know, the role of the state, the correct role of the state, if you will, um, is to protect people from corporations. I think I really believe that. I don't know how we get to a place where corporations don't do their nefarious, rapacious thing without some bigger entity to rein them in. And I don't know how the people, air quotes, rein them in without the aid of some representative some representative government that ha that is empowered. Now, I know that's not working. I totally agree. And yeah. everything you said about Barack Obama is, uh, yeah, that is what happened, basically. Um, I mean, we don't really know how well-intentioned he was in the first place, but even giving him every benefit of the doubt. Um, <laughs> he was more well-intentioned than some other ones we've had. How right, about, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it was a mistake to think he was going to be an anarchist, Vera, or, <laughs> yes. an, you know, or socialism even. I don't feel, I mean, we hoped maybe we would veer more that way, but I, I don't, I never really expected, I don't know, because I believe we have to take money, like Mark, I believe we just have to take money out of the equation. That, that, that's the biggest source of power in the government is, is not the representation, it's the, it's the influence, isn't it? What, what What do you mean, Carrie? The campaign financing, and that I mean that's how that's what gives different people who are supposed to represent us power is not. Uh, it's not coming from them and their ability to represent us. It's coming from their in outside influences and the corporations and private donors and uh, that that that's who they're beholden. Too, in my opinion, I mean, I think we just have to take money out of the, you know, we might not have to, you know, be careful what you wish for, but I feel like we, you, you know, you, until we stop campaign finance, um, you know, and stop and just fund elections through the government, I, there's not going to, I don't think there's going to be enough power in our representation. This is um, this is fascinating. I wasn't expecting this, which is to say, not that not that we're disagreeing, and I certainly don't think we're arguing, but we are so resolutely on on my turf right now in terms of <laughs> in terms of po political philosophy. I mean, I literally wrote my dissertation on like the political process and progress in urbanization and modernity in America in the late nineteenth and early twentieth century, and and yet. Uh, exactly what you two are saying is precisely the kind of thinking that I tried to abandon when I when I started this uh, this podcast. So if the if the question is like, how do we 
fix the government, precisely as both of you have said. The government is the obvious tool to use to fight corporations and give people back their lives. And it's hard to think of many instances in the entire history of the world where the government has has done that. And even fewer instances where the government has done that and has been sustained. And you can talk to the historians 50 years from now. In America, Social Security um, and Medicare are big examples of this. But as you know, there's always people who want to get rid of Social Security and, and Medicare. So if that's what we're, um, yeah, that's what we're also, hanging our hat on. Go ahead, sir, yeah. Mark, sorry. I mean, there's also always people who want to strengthen them. I mean, here's a couple things, a couple other things I believe. And, and, you know, we said yes to coming on the podcast. We say no to plenty of podcasts. We said yes because, you know, because we, we thought this might be a fun conversation. So oh, you're saying it's not, not that, it's not that surprising that it's a fun conversation. <laughs> um, you know, whether you believe that the arc of history is toward progress or not, and that's a, it's a big question, right? The world is certainly a different place than it was any number of years, choose your number. It's a different place than it was then. Um, five years ago, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, whatever you want. And it's gonna keep changing. We know, we know that. And we don't know, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote two people. One is, and they're not direct quotes, one's Neil Stevenson, the science fiction, so sort of science fiction writer. Um he said, we all know there's not going to be capitalism in a thousand years, so why don't we just start figuring out the alternative now? Well, I think we're doing that, but again, the arc of history isn't guaranteed. We don't know what change is going to look like. We just know that there's going to be change, and our job, to me, our job as responsible members of society, as humans, is to try to be... Um, agents of positive change. Everybody thinks that. Even people that we think of as bad people think that. <laughs> but, and then the other person I'm going to quote is a friend of mine who died last week, whose name is Todd Gitlin, who was president of SDS in 1963, which was way before my time. Um, but he wasn't that much older than me. And he was friends with friends of mine and became a friend of mine. And he was really a wise guy. And what he said was, um, I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing, while the Republicans were busy taking over uh, municipal and state governments, Democrats were busy taking over the English department. And <laughs> that was pretty I'm, My PhD is from the English department, and I completely agree with this point. <laughs> I mean, he was an academic, so that's what he would say. But... I think the the point is we know that whether you're whether you call your ultimate goal anarchism or socialism or progressive democracy or whatever you want to call it, we're really far from any of those things. And what I think any of anyone who agrees that that's the direction we want society to go in must see that organizing and um, door knocking and talking about politics and trying to get more adequate or more progressive representation in 
those state, federal, local governments is what has to happen right now. And if you have an argument that says, no, that's not what has to happen right now, I'd really like to hear it because I don't think the organizing to get progressive politicians in office is going very well. So <laughs> if there's a shortcut, I want to know about it. I mean, the other thing is I'm going to die. We're all going to die. You know, it's we're not going to see the end of, there is no end, but we're not going to see the end of this process. So our job, as I said, in my opinion, our, our job is to be agents of positive change. What should that mean to each of us right now is really the biggest question facing facing people who want to see a better world, a better society. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, first of all, before I am, I'm now put in the position of telling Mark Bittman how to uh, solve. I mean, I'm a, a cookbook writer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, let's have Carrie talk first before. I, before no, I no, I agree with everything. Every I agree with both perspective. I totally agree with what Mark said. I mean, that's part of why I moved to the Pacific Northwest from Kansas was to be, I mean, I did a lot of politics in Kansas, uh, my most active period of my life uh, for, you know, I was on a progressive caucus in the Kansas Democratic Party for four years. And it was, you know, I love the people I worked with, but we were impotent, really had no, had no ability to do to even make pathways in our own organization because we just was like we just faltered you know and I, I do believe that and i thought that was a community and i and i and we i believe that communities are ultimately powerful but they again they get hijacked by like influence and i don't want to say bad people but people with influence and protecting their self-interest it's human nature and i'm not sure how we get over that unless, you know, we come together uh, and do some something in common ground, you know, but we can't even really, you know, we're fighting a pandemic, we can't even do come together to do that. So uh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it is bread, you know, maybe we can, uh, you know, we, that's, when that's why you're here, because it, it is bread. That's the only thing I know. I don't know much about <laughs> politics. So um, I do I, know that when we're on about it enough, and we've talked about it enough. And you do it. I mean, there's no reason for us to be falsely modest about what we know or have thought about or talked about about politics. So, so here's 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 the argument um, that I make, and I will admit that I'm not getting a lot of uh, I'm not getting a lot of buy-in for for this argument, except from the people who you know are already identifying as anarchists. But it goes something like this: It does go back to community. That's why it does go back to bread. I mean, bread is the easiest metaphor for it because of the work Kropotkin did with bread and, and it's already the vocabulary is there. But also because of the communal nature of the uh, bread making process, the bread baking process, the farm, the role of the village. The argument goes something like this, and this is something you know that James Bowles and I talked about in a recent episode there are communities in America that work great. I, I would say, Mark, we're nowhere near as far away from the, uh, from the utopia that we are looking for. If you look at 
local communities. So many of them are working. And then you say, so many of them are working. And then you say, wait a second. This community has stopped working. It has become a nightmare. We are divided from one another. We're worried there's going to be a civil war. Um, half the people are triple masking and the other half of people are unvaccinated. What's going on? My answer is what's going on is we created this thing, this hierarchical top-down system that originates in Washington, D.C. And the goal is to take power, to bring about the world that you want. But in fact, the world that you want is already there in your neighborhood, unless that neighborhood or community has been destroyed by corporations as they so frequently are. And these institutions, these communities thrive if you can keep red and blue, Republican and Democrat out of the conversation, if you can remind people that within the community, they are together. Whereas in this bigger community that is called the United States of America, they hate one another. And the only reason why the Republicans took over all of those municipal boards, they didn't give a shit about state government. They didn't give a shit about local government. They cared about power and making the country, the United States of America, look the way they wanted it to look. And all the money came from top-down corporations. It's actually a reverse grassroots. They took over, the right wing took over the grassroots in order to take power over the national landscape. And the answer is not going to be, fair enough, take over the, do the same thing from the left, but you're right, Mark, it's not working. So what we have to do is take over the grassroots, but we can't take over the grassroots by saying, if we take power, we can do what the Republicans did and have six justices on the Supreme Court. We have to take over the grassroots and say, if we take power, we can feed and clothe and educate our community and the local bakery, especially if it's some sort of co-op and connected to the farmer's market, becomes this image that is what it's all about. And what's happening in DC is preventing actually the communities from working at the grassroots. That doesn't mean I'm not going to vote for whoever the Democratic candidate is for president, but I do not believe that's where we're really going to make the difference. That was okay. There, that there it was. I mean, the co-op. I think the co-op argument is strong. Um, you probably know Gar Alperovitz, uh, and no. if you don't, you should. Yeah, okay. He's a big advocate of. I mean, I just get stuck because there there are so many regulations preventing good things from happening that somehow I think, well, in order for good things to happen, I mean, it is a, we're not arguing, obviously. No, I don't, I don't think we are. Yeah. I mean, we're not disagreeing even, but I think somehow power needs to be exercised, positive power needs to be exercised on a local level. But um, you can build all the co-ops you want to build, but if land is still being held by, you know, ninety percent or whatever it is of all the land in the country is being held by two percent of the population or whatever it is, and ninety-eight percent of farming is big farming, and by the way, ninety-eight percent of farmers are white. Um, how you change that is, 
I, I don't know how you change that other than making law more fair. Um, and those kinds of laws do happen on a big scale. And uh, yeah, I, I think that, I think we're both talking about community organizing and I think mm -hmm. we agree on that. Um, I just don't, I just, my belief, and again, I don't intend to live to see this. I don't know what I'm going to live to see, but I, you know, I think we have to be looking at 50 year plans at this point. I don't think there's a five year window in which things are suddenly going to get better, but maybe they can start moving in the right direction. But um, Okay, let's argue then, because uh, I don't want a 50 year plan, Mark, and I don't want a five year plan. I want people to know what they can do tomorrow. Right, but that's but what they can't do tomorrow is change, for example, the farming structure of the United States. And that is a long-term necessity. If you want to stop climate change, if you want to feed people right, if you want to stop environmental devastation, blah, 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 you have to change the way farming is done in the United States. And now I guess what you're going to say is right. That means we have to change the way farming is done in the United States. Um, but I just don't know that I see, I don't know that I, that also means seizing power. I mean, doing that on a local level is in some ways the same thing as saying seizing power. So I just don't see it in the short term. But what it's, we're all talking about in common is that, I mean, it's not, nothing's going to happen until we flatten this hierarchy I was talking about earlier, you know, where like, you know, who owns the land and who has the influence and how do you, how do you flatten that, uh, you know, without, uh, you know, some kind of catastrophe? How do you, how do you get, even if you have a grassroots community, a hundred people, there's going to be two people in that group of a hundred that are like assholes <laughs> and they're going to, and they're going to be like, and they're going to ruin it for everybody else, you know, unless you like execute them. So, you know, I mean, I, so we, what, what we are doing again, this is, I mean, this is delightful for me because I have, I've had this conversation a thousand times. I've never had it on the podcast. So this is going to be the first time my, my, I thought that's what this podcast was about. No, everyone else who comes on the podcast is like, yes, anarchism is great. I didn't think I was an anarchist, but now I am. So, um, <laughs> Wait, the podcast is you lecture people and convince them to become anarchists? No, the podcast is I give people a definition of anarchism that they say, well, if that's what anarchism is, I'm I'm already an anarchist. And so well, now that's kind of what I just said, but okay. <laughs> oh, 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 brutal. So, I mean, what, what, what Carrie has described is completely right. Like if you have these... Um, if you have these hundred people, two of them are going to be assholes, and they're going to try and uh, take over the commune. Um, and Kropotkin said that's precisely why we need anarchism. What's what's more dangerous? Two assholes in a group of one hundred that is trying to be anarchist, and those two people try and take over, or two assholes in a group that is organized with democratic elections and has a chair and a vice chair, and those two people wheel and deal until they get elected chair and vice chair, and now they're up officially assholes in charge instead of just <laughs> trying unofficially to be assholes in charge. David Graeber um, famously describes this argument with uh, someone in Occupy Wall Street who is actually a veteran of the civil rights movement 
And the man he was arguing with said, you know, what you're asking us to do is to be governed by a shadow committee. I want to know who the boss is so I can disagree with him or vote him out. And Graber's argument is you're always being governed by a shadow committee. You never know where the boss is. There could always be someone whispering in the president's ear. We call this the Dick Cheney problem. But then you've also given the person who is the figurehead president all sorts of dangerous powers. And it's better to go it with without that um, without that structure. And the way you do it is is by, yeah, community organizing, absolutely, but something that is in some way resembles something that's apolitical despite being political, which I would say, you know, making whole wheat bread in your home, especially if you get the flour from a local farmer, which I which I do. I mean, that's the answer to my question. We need to change farming. Well, I've got a buddy who has a farm and does heirloom grains and I buy the heirloom grains for him. And as long as enough people are listening and doing that, that will change everything. They can pass a law that says you're not allowed to buy heirloom grains from your friend, but that seems like a law that's not going to get enforced to, to me. Right. I mean, they did have such laws in the USSR and people were people were killed for uh, Ill illegal grain. But this is another argument why the, for why the left wing shouldn't create structures of hierarchy and power, because then you start murdering farmers for farming. That seems bad. In the right wing, you just pay farmers for not farming, which I would say is also bad. Well, actually, you get the government to pay <laughs> farmers to grow things that are bad for the land and bad for people. But yeah. Yeah, and but some farmers are paid for not farming. But yes, the bigger, I mean, again, Mark, you, we're not going to disagree on the big picture. You could solve most of this problem if you could just write a farm bill that uh, encouraged small farms growing healthy things. But I've given up on the good. I mean, I remember when we thought there was going to be a good farm bill. When, when was that? It was 2010 or something. There was like, there was this progressive farm bill and it did not happen. No, no. Well, you were naive to think that that might have happened. Forgive me. I'm, so now I'm, you're not I, I naive was, anymore. Was, but I the question child, is... I was a child, Mark. I right. was born in 1983. Right. O Obama <laughs> was the first president, you know, in my lifetime, in my adult life, besides George W. Bush. So I thought the new era had come yeah. and mm -hmm. things were good now. Yeah. So now you know you were naive, and that's fine. I guess the difference between us, um, do I think there needs to be a good farm bill? I mean, I have no hope for a good farm bill, believe me. I have no more hope for a good farm bill than you do. And when people want to talk to me about the farm bill, I say, farm bill's actually irrelevant. Yes. Unless maybe you can put some good stuff in there or get some bad stuff taken out, which is great. But if you think you're going to have a good farm bill, and there's a problem with attacking the farm bill, which is that the farm bill uh, is responsible for feeding a lot of people because yes. SNAP is in the farm bill. Yep. So there's this sort of weird devil's bargain where the the left or the so-called left in, in Washington doesn't really go after the farm bill because it doesn't want the Republicans say, if you want to go after the farm bill, we'll go after the farm bill. But we're gonna. But food stamps cost whatever it is, six hundred billion dollars a year or something, 
and we'd like that to be half yeah. that. So, yeah. um, so it's a little bit scary. But I mean, there's yeah, it's an interesting conversation and one that has to go on. But I have to leave soon. So, and it is your podcast. So I was going to say, let me ask you one more question, but maybe you want to ask me or us one more question. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll uh, you know, I'll tell the listeners they should make Bitman bread. You you ask me a question. This is this is fine. Make Bitman bread. Buy the book. Well, well, you're saying what people should do right now is act locally, build local economies. Yes. Um, be nice to their neighbors. Buy things from one another try to form co-ops, whether they're food co-ops or whatever, um, and ignore the state as best they can. Yes, while still, you know, not voting for Republicans. Right, and taking advantage of the state to the extent that could do any of us any good. Yes. Like drive on roads and whatever. Yes, I mean, there's a huge controversy right now in Chapel Hill because Chapel Hill is trying to take ownership of our main road which is currently run by the state government. This is this is what the government is doing now in Chapel Hill, Mark, is arguing about which bureaucratic body is in charge of the roads. And that seems to me like not the kind of thing that we need to be spending our time on. It matters in New England when you're on a county road <laughs> and it's a shitty county and the road doesn't get plowed. And then you move on to a state road and the state in theory does its work and the road does get out and 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 i mean i see this stuff i spend a lot of time in massachusetts i see this stuff in massachusetts all the time for some reason it doesn't seem to happen as much in new york state and i don't i don't know why it is but you know that town to town difference is kind of funny and you see it you do see it on roads it's where we it's where we see it right i guess if we knew education systems, we'd probably see it in school systems too. Oh. It's much easier to know more than one road than to know more than one school system. Well, I, I guess if we're gonna wrap up, I'd like to try to bring it back to the bread. And if we have our hundred person community model again with the two assholes, what job would you give them baking the bread? Would you <laughs> would you want I mean, because the way you're gonna convert, I would just I was making a bad joke when I said we'd have to execute them. I would want to convert them, you know, to the community and to the common good, to the mutual uh, aid. And so that you'd want them in the bread making process. What, you know, what would you do? Would you put them by the oven, you know, like, so they wouldn't be dealing with the dough? Like, would you distribution? Like, that's the thing that always, like when you have a group, you have to delegate. People have to do, everybody can't do everything or nothing will get done. So, you know, there. I think that's where the hierarchy becomes, you know, visible is that, oh, I get to make the bread. I have to be by the oven the whole time. I get to distribute it to the people, you know, like how do you, where would you put the two assholes? This, this is going to be an insufficient answer, I think, but the answer is you tell them that they don't need to be a part of the bread making process and you give them bread at the end anyway. Oh. And you will have two non-assholes who are will join the community in, in relatively short order, or they will walk to another village, and that village has two assholes, and they got to figure it out. Maybe they're not assholes in the other village. Exactly. Maybe, maybe not. Assholes after they have 
been treated to a non-hierarchical communal experience that they benefit from. I mean, it's hard to imagine this. No, world I like being... that answer. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's my. It's better yeah. than making them plow the roads or whatever. Really you know, I'll just piss them off. Like I'm Mao not... over there. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Look, I, I know you're about to have to go, but did you, I think you said you had one more question or did you, or did, or did we cover it? No, I think we covered it, but yeah. I will tell you this. When I was a senior in college, I was like a terrible student. And also I'm, you know, I literally twice as old as you are. Um, so it was a long, all I'm saying is that it was a long time ago. But um, part of this was how I started writing. So it's interesting, but part of it was, I'm just giving myself some cred, I suppose. But I, I got together with two friends, Madeline and David, um, and uh, we had all been radicalized in our junior year, which was 1969, 1970, when- That's a, that's a year to get radicalized in. Many it? people got radicalized, right? <laughs> um, and, well, it's gonna become too long a story. So the short version is our senior thesis, which they researched and I wrote, that was the deal. I was like, you guys do all the reading and take all the notes and stuff and I'll write us an awesome paper. And that was how I became a writer, but, or is one of the first things I wrote that sort of mattered, but I just found this thing the other day. And it basically is, I wish I could remember what it was, what it's called. It basically is an anarch, I'll, I'll text you or email you the title page, but it's basically an anarchist critique of the, of the Russian revolution. Yeah. It's about the failure of the Russian revolution and and its transition from being a people's movement to a miserable hierarchy, which we're certainly in agreement there. But, um, you know, we would all have argued when I was back in the day when I was a real leftist, all the arguments were about um, how it was ridiculous to critique the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union was never anything that it said it was going to be. So it's like critiquing Canada, and, you know, like Canada is not a socialist country. Well, yeah, we know that. <laughs> um, I do have to run. I'm sorry. It's been really fun. Thanks. I hope so. It was really fun for me. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I will. I, I will be in touch, and maybe maybe someday we can talk bread a little bit more. But this was. Uh, I wouldn't. You know, this was bread's this easy. Was, Oh, it's not, it's not, it's not that easy. It's not that easy, I don't think. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Graham. For coming Thanks for show. reaching out. Thanks, Graham. Oh, th thank Stay you in for touch. the book. Absolutely. All right. Oh, okay. thank you. Bye. Bye. Carrie, we can chat a little bit more if you want to. We can talk science oh. fiction or you can just go. It's totally up to you. I've got oh, I you, you, should. you should talk dystopia. <laughs> And we can and we can talk Kansas too. You know, my wife is from Wichita. Oh, so, really? Um, okay, I'm I'll stay on. Bye, okay, bye, Mark. Mark, you don't mind? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> um. Oh boy, I hope I didn't sound like too much of a malice. It was very unfortunate my choice of words to <laughs> no, say no, 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 execute no. the asshole. No, no, because it was clear. It was clear to me, at least, that you were giving the Maoist solution as the obvious simple solution, but right. not the one that you, not, not, the right one. Not, not the one that you wanted. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think that's a problem.
I don't think it's a problem at all. <laughs> I don't. Well, I just, I'm, a, you know, that's part of what I wrestle with in working uh, in um, my personal reading and stuff is that there's, you know, how do you resolve this issue that humans are not kind? All of them. And they really don't care about it. Some of them don't really care about other people. They only care about themselves. So I, it's hard to resolve that in utopia. And, I, you know, writers have written about that forever. Yeah. So my, I mean, my response to that is, I guess, I mean, this is a version of the answer that I gave. People are unkind. Sure. So what's better? A world in which there are unkind people and also uh, committees and police officers or a world in which there are unkind people and those people do not have access to formal legal power. So Max Weber's old definition yeah. of the state is ownership of violence in a given territory. There are people who are allowed to do violence. And when the violence is done, instead of saying, was that good or bad? Do we like that or not like it? We say, was it legal? Did it fit with the rules that were written down? Mm -hmm. And if it does fit with the rules that were written down, the violence is okay. Well, if you've got assholes, you don't want to live in a world where people can write down rules that make violence okay and do that violence. So assholes right. are much more dangerous with the power of the state and the law in their hands than they are without the state and the law. And then, of course, our answer of a good guy with a gun Right. That's what that's what the police is. The right. good guy who stops the bad guy. Well, I think that that yeah. that solution in the American left has gone out the window. Thank goodness. Yeah. But don't you think that there's people people who are prone to violence are going to be violent regardless of whether it's legal for them if they feel like they won't if there's no punitive action. So if someone's going to be violent and you give them a loaf of bread and they'll go, wow, I, that's a reward. You know, <laughs> I I. I'm still a violent jerk and I get fed every day. So then you have to become a punitive society. And then you're doing violence in return or you're banishing people or you're, you know, making them go on walkabouts or whatever, you know, whatever. And so you, how do you get around the cycle of violence? I mean, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the part I wrestle with. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't, I, I mean, look, I have answers for this question, but I don't want to pretend that I have like a stock answer that if someone implemented, the problem would be solved. My answers are our guesses, our proposals, our thoughts. Um, but I, so again, I'm going to say the thing I guess I've been saying all along, which is, well, okay, the first thing is a society that accepts certain kinds of violence and deems that violence good is going to be worse off than a society that that doesn't. And so the violent assholes have a tendency to get in situations, the military or the police, where they can not only be violent assholes, but then the, quote, law-abiding members of the community support them in their violence. So one version of this is um, people will do violence no matter what, but it takes a legal state apparatus to have someone do violence with the full approval of almost every member of the community. And that's going to lead to more violence. The other thing is the, you know, there are astonishing statistics of the amount of violence that goes on in, in prisons. 
And so when we put people in prisons, we definitely wildly escalate the amount of violence in society. And we just say that's okay. We don't actually say this, but we have accepted that that's okay because those are the people who did the violence. So they have in some ways given up their personhood. And then I guess this is a radical statement, but you just want to try and continue to believe in the personhood of people who are doing violence that suggests that they do not believe in your personhood. And there's a whole anarchist tradition, especially associated with Tolstoy and Gandhi, that says that. Right. There's a whole other anarchist tradition that says, you're crazy. You know, we're not going to have prisons, but if they come at us with guns, we're going to shoot them. And Tolstoy and Gandhi say, then that's then the battle yeah. is lost. Once you pick yeah. up a gun, the battle is lost. And that's I would rather not... die than kill. Yeah, that I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, once you create that cycle of um, of violence and, and punity, the idea of p- punishment, you know. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's a hard question to resolve. And I don't know, I'm, I've, from my experience with, um, dystopian fiction yes that's what uh it's not i'm reading uh well i'm listening actually i do a combination of reading and listening because i do so much time in the kitchen i have to listen um have you dabbled into paradise yet no i haven't oh it's just out and it's uh only this i don't want to spoil it for you but only the third book is really dystopian but the um, and it's hyperstate dystopia. It's you know the state has taken over everything, and um, yeah. So uh, I just don't feel like that. You know, there's never the, even when there's utopia, it's not utopia. You know, it's never quite utopian. It's even the book Utopia is not utopian by any means. You know, I think that oh, that oh, oh no, yeah. the book the book Utopia is is <laughs> yeah. is, is, is miserable. Um, so I would, you know, I, I'm, I call myself a utopian, but to me, utopia is not a place where everything is perfect and everything is happy. That's a silly definition of utopia. It's a, it's a place where, you know, you're, you're striving for that. Oscar Wilde says we arrive at utopia every day because Mm. every day we're making the world what we want it to be. And as soon as we land on the shores of utopia, we're unsatisfied and we see the next utopia down. So it's so you yeah, utopia yeah. be a process. And that's why these images of utopia are always terrifying, because they always yeah. suggest that the utopia has been achieved. So the first like counterintuitive thing is if you want a utopia, you can't have a utopia. You can only have the true utopia is the yeah, striving right, right, towards right. utopia. And then the second thing is the way you get that is try and carve away all the various things that restrict people from making the world a utopia. And when you do that, you will carve away not just the obvious things, prisons and military, but you'll get rid of schools also. I was a very successful student, but I would have learned so much more if instead of a school, I had had kind of a library. You know, Mm -hmm. if I'd had just a place where I could go and read and and learn and there would have been people to help me but i didn't i didn't need teachers to tell me you know to mm. learn and then the argument is oh well, what about these people who don't want to learn they all want to learn they might want to well, learn to bake bread 
Well, I have two questions about, first of all, about the bread. How is your, you're using a, a local wheat. A lot of people and us included have trouble with local wheat because it doesn't hold, wa a lot of it doesn't hold water. It's too non-glutinous, um, you know, because the hybrids uh, yep. for better or for worse. So how is that working out for you? Is so it I didn't, I didn't want to get into this, but the answer is it works okay as a blend. Yeah. Um, so I can blend it and get some nice results. The flavor is better. The uh, the crumb or whatever they say is not quite right as good. But if I try and bake entirely with a local heirloom wheat, I mean, I can do some nice things with it, but not using the Britman, not using the Bitman bread. Right. Method. Formula, yeah. But my my friend, he has a farm. He's got recipes. You know. Well, yeah, and you can probably wheat. do more flatbreads and things yes. like that. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not things that are not. I think the more people, the more people come around to whole wheat baking, the more there'll be farmers that produce. Yes. You know, because there are varieties and we have baked with them. Patwin is one of them. Red Fife can be pretty good. It depends on where it's grown. But they're that work well for open crumb and natural fermentation and um, stuff. And there's and we even have the scientists at University of Oregon, excuse me, Oregon State who has been helping us, Andrew Ross, he's kind of like the world cereal expert. And um, uh, we're so lucky to have gotten hooked up with him, but he really believes that the answer is at, not in wheat at all. It's in barley and, mm -hmm. um, and other alternative grains. And so his, his lab is working on making, you know, lofty breads with those kind of, by fermenting those kind of flours, um, yes, both for nutrition, he believes both for nutrition and, um, sustainability. Just we, there's other crops, obviously, that are easier to grow um, in rough climates and stuff than wheat. The thing I would say, um, well, the only thing I would say, like in terms of, we didn't talk about bread much, and I, <laughs> again, it was such a strange thing. That was such a fun conversation for me, but it was also completely, again, in my in my wheelhouse. I guess that was, <laughs> you know, this is I was kind of joking with Mark, but usually when I bring someone into the show. I don't want to be, I mean, I think that's what Mark was referring to when he said like, oh, this is your podcast. I don't, I don't try to be the expert on my show. Um, but then when, you know, when Mark is asking like, so what would anarchism look like? What are the theories? Well, that's the thing that I spent a yeah. couple of years studying. So then I became the expert. So that was fun, but not, um, not bread focused. We didn't talk about yeast. We didn't talk about yeast or rather sourdough because what is, I would call it yeast. I mean, I tend to call, I mean, I know Mark. Well, natural, you're capturing natural. We, yes. but we start with, of course, our process starts with commercial yeast because it's just, e it's just so much easier. But then, and again, Dr. Ross assured us that af not after very long, you cultivate, you know, that process cultivates uh, your own culture. And because we keep it in the fridge, um, he was kind of amazed how low the how high the pH is and how low mm -hmm. the acidity is of our starter and our bread. Um, and he, you know, he determined and he recommended to us that that's probably because it lives in the fridge and it cultivates yeast, oh. a, a yeast culture that can tolerate forty degree temperatures, and those kind of yeasts respire more slowly and they don't produce the acid acid that you get when you have it room temperature or higher fermentation process. So that's what he believes 
why our pH is so high. That makes that makes complete sense. So uh, Kropotkin's most famous book is Conquest of Bread. His second most famous book is Mutual Aid, a Factor in Evolution. And he argues that anarchism is simply evolution, that anarchism is the dominant oh. mode in the creation of uh, in the creation of organisms. And, you know, oh, the, only, the only problem with humanity is in the late 19th century that in part because of Darwin and Darwin's emphasis on competition, humanity has decided that the way to succeed is to eliminate as much cooperation as possible and replace it with competition. And oh, Kropotkin says, competition exists in nature, sure, but it's mostly cooperation. So if we want a society to mimic evolution, it should be mostly cooperative. And this weird thing called anarchism is in fact the thing that, that has created biological life, which turns it around and say, well, yeah, of course, you, you, you found a process um, that you liked in terms of making the bread and who's doing most of the work? Well, the natural world is doing most of the work and, mm -hmm. and the natural world is anarchism and it is the source of mm -hmm. life and the yeast are doing what they need to do for themselves and also what you need them to do. And Kropotkin would not be surprised by that at Oh, at that all. is interesting. Not in the slightest. Oh, that's, I'm going to have to do some reading of his, I mostly read fiction these days, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to definitely, I wrote them down. I'm definitely going to look them up. I mean, I can, I can email you certainly. Okay. Um, Great. I'm going to have to go soon yeah. too. I have to, we're I working need, on more books. Yeah, my kid, <laughs> more Oh, that's books. great. I mean, my kids are going to be here any second. Um, oh, okay. the book we're working on next is a kid's book, actually. How to oh. cook everything for kids. Fantastic. With kids. Well, how to yeah, cook everything kids. for kids. Okay. Yeah. I look, I look forward to it. Um, I don't know when it's coming out. You're certain, I would love oh, to have you on the show to talk about it. Oh in yeah, it'll be eighteen months or whenever yeah. it's coming it'll out. It'll be the next fall, probably. Um, yeah, sounds great. Well, it's a date then. Um, if 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 you don't hate being on the show, so oh was, no, do your kids uh, bake with you? Um, so they're, they're, si they're six and three, and mm. the six-year-old is trying, but she's just she's just not there yet. Yeah. Oh man. So much fun. I probably say that after all of the interviews, but it always is just such a pleasure talking with Mark and Carrie and then Carrie again. I mean, uh, we I feel like we have so much more to talk about in terms of bread and anarchism, and I um, hope to have them back on the show in the future to continue doing that. That's all for me, except I have to remind you that I do need your support. You can go to everydayanarchism.com to make a financial contribution to the show or just tell a friend or leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But especially if you can give, I know it always sounds so cheesy and tedious. So oh, for that $5 you spent on a cappuccino, if you gave that to me once a month, it would make a huge difference. But it would make a huge difference. People are giving uh, financially. People are leaving reviews and ratings. But there's not that many people doing those things. And that leaves the show in a precarious position. So if you want to make sure the show stays around, then yeah, it's cliche. One day a month, skip a cappuccino or whatever your $5 pleasure is and show some mutual aid for everyday anarchism. If you can, it would just mean so much. 
All that's left to say is that the music which you're about to hear is by David Hill. <laughs> 